the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. It's my pleasure to be with all of you in the Beloved of Christ Diocese of London. And I like to thank my father, His Grace Bishop Angelus, for this kind invitation to be with you today during the Holy Great Fast and through the prayers of the Father, the clergy, and all of you, may the Lord give us wisdom to reflect a little bit on the Holy Great Fast. In the fraction of the Holy Great Fast, we say fasting and prayer are those which the people of Nineveh pursued until God had mercy on them, forgave them their sins, and lifted his wrath away from them. And also the Lord Jesus Christ said about the Ninevites that they will stand in the day of judgment and they will condemn the generation in which the Lord Jesus Christ lived because they believed and repented at the preaching of Jonah, but the people did not believe or repent at the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them, and the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than Jonah. So I think the Lord Jesus Christ is asking us to reflect on the repentance of the Ninevites. And this will be like an example to all of us to follow this style of repentance in order to have the mercies of God dwell upon us. So let's read from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, starting from verse 5, and we will reflect on these verses. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Glory to the Holy Trinity. So if we analyze the repentance of the Ninevites, it started with believing God, as we read in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. That's the first step. Jonah went to Nineveh and told them, after 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So they believed this warning. And believing God was the first point in repentance. Maybe when all of us hear this, we say we all believe God, so we don't have problem with this issue. But in reality, we say we believe God 
but in reality we don't and I will tell you why I say we don't believe God God said several times that no liars will enter the kingdom of heaven as you read in the book of Revelation the liars will be outside the heavenly Jerusalem and in spite of this if we believe it why we lie until now why until now although all of us want to go to heaven but why do we still lie either we believe God or we are not taking him seriously another example in the sermon on the mountain the Lord Jesus Christ said he who says to his brother foolish one he deserves the fire of hell and until now we curse one another and there are several examples so do we take God serious or not do we take his warning serious or not the people of Nineveh took the warning when Jonah told them after 40 days God will overthrow your city then everyone actually believed God they took God seriously our problem we don't take God serious in our life we know all this warning but we don't take him serious enough to respond to this warning number two they proclaimed a fast as we read in verse 5 the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast why they proclaimed a fast how fast is related to repentance we know that our body and the desires of the body there is continuous war between the body and the spirit so there is a war between the body and the spirit and in any war if the two if two persons are fighting together who will win the war the stronger so if our body and the desires of the flesh are stronger than the spirit then the person will be carnal but if the desires of the spirit are stronger than the desires of the body the person will be spiritual so when we fast as St. Paul said I discipline my body and bring it into subjection St. Paul said lest after I preach it others I myself be disqualified so when we fast actually we discipline our body and we bring it into subjection we put it under the control of the spirit so in this war between the body and the spirit we will find the spirit stronger than the body then the spirit will win this war and the person will be a spiritual person not a carnal person led by the desires of the spirit not by the desires of the flesh later on the Lord Jesus Christ said to us about demon this kind cannot come out by anything except by prayer and fasting so another reason why we fast in order actually to overcome Satan Satan cannot actually be defeated except through prayer and fasting as the Lord told us they brought a young boy possessed with demons to the disciples but they couldn't actually cast out the demon so they asked the Lord why we couldn't and the Lord told them this kind cannot come out by thing except by prayer and fasting also in fasting we participate in the death of Christ 
although we don't literally die in, in fasting, but when we abstain from eating and drinking, we actually participate in the death of Christ. So by mortifying the desires of the flesh, in this way, if we participate in his death, we participate also in his resurrection. And our fasting will take its power and its strength from the fast of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because now we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. Since the baptism, we put on Christ. So any spiritual activity we do, it is actually accepted before God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ himself. Our fasting will be accepted through the fasting of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because now we are one, we are in union. So when I fast, my fast takes its power and its strength and its acceptance before God the Father from the fasting of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third point in the fasting of the Ninevites or in the repentance, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And there are here two points, actually not only one point. The third point, we said the first point is they believed in God, they took him seriously. Second point, they fasted. Third point, they put on sackcloth. They put on sackcloth. It's a form of asceticism, asceticism. So they are not living in luxury, but they humbled themselves before the Lord, even in their clothes. And fasting should be a time of asceticism in everything. In food, fasting is about simplicity in the food. But if I try to make the best delicious food during fasting and make several kinds of food, etc., should I question myself, am I really fasting or not? Because fasting has the two dimensions, the ascetic dimension and the spiritual dimension. In the ascetic dimension, we should abstain from eating and drinking to a certain time, then we should control the quantity and the quality of food, quantity and quality of food. And the people who actually really fasting with asceticism, the, the budget of food during fasting time will be less than the budget during non-fasting time. And the difference actually between this budget and that budget should go to the poor and needy. And if I say, that fasting is participation in the death of Christ, how can actually I spoil my flesh and make different kind of food and delicious food? And then I say I'm fasting. Fasting has to do with discipline and discipline the body and living in asceticism. As the people here, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And also, this goes to shopping, buying new clothes, etc. So during fasting, a person should live in asceticism. The fourth point, it says from the greatest to the least of them, which means communal fasting. Everybody fasted together. And the communal fasting is very important. Many people say, I will fast whenever I want. And it is individual something individual between me and God. But the communal fasting is mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament also. Like example, 
in, in Acts chapter 27, we read, when the fast was over. So here he is referring to a fast that everybody participate in it. The communal fast is important because my fasting actually will support your fasting and your fasting will support my fasting. So when we fast all of us together, then we will strengthen each other's fasting and our fasting will be very, very strong before God. The fasting of the Ninevites here made God had mercy on them and lifted his wrath away from them. The fasting of the Israelites during the time of Esther actually gave Esther grace in the eyes of the king and he did not kill her when she entered without appointment. So fasting actually can do miracles. The mountain of Mu'attam was moved from its place through the power of prayer and fasting. So it is not up to me actually to say I will fast or not. Since there is a communal fasting, all of us, we should participate. Everyone, the older, the younger, everyone should participate in the fasting. Even here we see the king, as we read in verse 6, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Uh, sitting in ashes actually to remember that, uh, to remind us with the fire. So if we don't repent, God forbid, uh, people actually their end will be in the lake of fire. So the idea of sitting in ashes to remind the person with the fire, so this like a warning from God so we can repent and return to God. And by the way, in the Catholic Church, the first day of fasting is Wednesday, not like us. We, the first day in fasting is Monday. And they call it Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. And actually the Catholic people go to the church on Ash Wednesday, and the priest make with ashes a sign of a cross on their forehead to remind them that this fasting is a time of repentance, returning to God, and time of asceticism. That is why the day before Ash Wednesday, as we have the pre-fast Sunday, had the Rifa'ah, so Rifa'ah will be Tuesday, and they call it in English Fat Tuesday, in French they call it Mardi Gras, and the idea of celebrating the day before the fast is to prepare ourselves spiritually to the fast. Unfortunately, now Mardi Gras in many, many states and in some countries take a very ungodly celebration. And I wonder how can we prepare ourselves to the fasting with all these ungodly practices. And the, the king actually called a communal fast to everybody, as we read in verse 7, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, 
taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. So, according to their knowledge, because Nineveh was a pagan country, so according to their knowledge, they let even the beasts and the animals to fast with them. And they actually proclaimed total abstinence, total abstinence from eating and drinking. And this is the reason why actually we fast 55 days. Some people actually, they try to find explanation, so many different explanation about why we fast 55 days. But when you study the church history, you will find that the early church knew either the fast of six weeks or the fast of eight weeks. Six weeks and eight weeks. Six because six by seven is 42. So that is the 40 days that the Lord Jesus Christ fasted. But why eight weeks? Because on Saturday and Sunday, we don't abstain. And the people wanted to abstain every day. So since the people abstain five days in the week, excluding Saturday and Sunday, then actually they need eight weeks to fast 40 days. Five by eight, 40. But the eight weeks is 56 days. And from here came the 55 days. Algeria was a pilgrim a pilgrimage in, in the 4th century and she visited Jerusalem and stayed there three days and recorded all her observation. You can find her writing. Her name is Algeria. You can find her writing in the ancient Christian literature. And she said in Jerusalem, they fast eight weeks and she explained why the eight weeks because they don't abstain on Saturday and Sunday. So five by eight would be 40. But in Egypt, the cops fasted six weeks, not eight weeks. What happened when people went to Jerusalem to visit the Holy Sepulchre and the Golgotha? So, and they know that the people in Jerusalem fasted eight weeks, so when they returned back to Egypt, they said, since I visited the Holy Land, now I will fast eight weeks like the people in Jerusalem. And actually this custom is still, we have it here, like in St. Mary fast. Some people they fast three weeks, some people fast one month, some people fast as he abstain completely until sunset. Some people, they don't eat fish, although all these things are allowed. A fish is allowed in St. Mary fast. It's only 15 days. Absence should be until 3 p.m., not until 6 p.m. But some people, they do extra asceticism. So back then, some people actually, they start to fast eight weeks since they visited the Holy Land. So we ended up in Egypt having two groups of people, groups fasting six weeks and group fasting eight weeks. And since more people actually visited the Holy Land, 
So the number of the people who fasted the eight weeks start to grow. And in order to have unity among all the cups, and since also we, we in, in Egypt, we abstain on Saturday and Sunday, so in Egypt actually, we adopted the fast of eight weeks. That's why now we are fasting the 55 days. So here in Nineveh, they completely abstain from eating and drinking, as, as we read. He said, let neither man nor beast, herd or nor flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink water. Complete abstinence. And I, I hope that each one of us, we can abstain for some time, for 12 noon, 1, 2, 3. Uh, according to the church, we should abstain until sunset. But each one according to his ability and according to the guidance of his spiritual father. But abstinence is something very, very important in fasting. Because if we eat in the morning, the first meal is called the breakfast. Breakfast means breaking the fast. And as his holiness Pope Shenouda used to say, if we eat in the morning, then we are vegetarians who are not uh, fasting. So the people believed in God, they proclaimed the fast, they uh, practiced asceticism. It was a communal fast, everybody participated in it. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. That's number five. Cry mightily to God. Prayer. Prayer. Usually during this fast, when you, you hear the word fasting, you hear prayer. Fasting and prayer. Fasting cannot work alone. Many people ask, we fasted for so many years, but we never felt all these blessings that you speak about. Why? Because fasting does not work alone. If we fast only, then we are changing certain food with another food, and that's it. Fasting works with prayer. That's why the Lord spoke about the demon and said, this kind cannot come out by anything except by prayer and fasting. And I want you to notice here, he did not say and pray. He said, cry mightily to God. Cry mightily to God. Cry, he didn't mean to scream, but cry means the heart, the spirit from within, crying to God. Can you imagine if a person is drowning and then he is calling for help? How, how he would say it? Would he say, just please, could you please come and uh, rescue me from drowning? Or he will be crying. In the same way, we need to be crying heartedly, mightily to the Lord in order actually to deliver us, to rescue us, to have mercy upon us, to forgive us our sins, to lift his wrath away from us. In the book of Psalms, you hear in many, many Psalms, David said, I have cried to the Lord. Out of the depths I cried to, to the Lord. To you, O Lord, I cried with my voice. Several, several times, as if David, the only type of prayer that he knew is the crying, crying. So we need to pray with zeal, 
with sincerity, not just words coming out of our mouth. And with crying, number six, he said, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. This is what we call repentance. Repentance. Returning from evil way and turning from the violence, it is repentance. Repentance is actually making like a U-turn. Instead of I'm going away from God, I will make a U-turn and return back to God. For our repentance to be acceptable before God and to be a true and genuine repentance, it's not enough to say I repented or I am going to quit this sin. It takes actually several things. It takes number one actually to take responsibility of our sins. If we don't take responsibility and if I know or I am convinced that I have excuses, then it will be very difficult for me to repent. For example, if I have anger problem and, and I say I get angry because of my boss at work, because of my parents, because of my spouse, because of my children, then I am finding excuse to myself. As long as I did not take responsibility for my anger, it will be difficult for me to repent. That's why taking responsibility is very, very important. After taking responsibility, we need to have remorse or to develop godly sorrow. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, St. Paul said, Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. So, Peter, when he denied God, he wept bitterly. We need to develop this godly sorrow inside our hearts and to regret what we did. Also, we need actually to make like a resolution that we will do whatever it takes not to return back to this sin again. As St. Paul said in his letter to Hebrews, you did not fight until bloodshed against sin. So we need to fight until bloodshed against sin. Also, we need to do like Zacchaeus, to correct the results of our sins. Zacchaeus said, if I was unfair to anybody, I will restore fourfold and half of my goods I will give it to the poor and needy. So we need actually to correct the results of our sins. And also we need to have confidence in God's forgiveness and God's acceptance. Because if we analyze Judas Iscariot, his reaction after betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, number one will find he regretted what he did. He tried to correct the result of his sins. He took the money and gave it to the high priests back. He confessed actually his sin. He said, I have sinned because I delivered innocent blood. So he went through all these steps. But what he was lacking, he was lacking the confidence and the trust, the hope in God's mercy and in God's forgiveness. That's why it is a very important 
element to have confidence in God's mercy and God's forgiveness. So in order to repent, as I said, it is like making you turn. We need to take responsibility of our sins. We need to develop godly sorrow. We need to fight until bloodshed against sin. We need to correct the results of our sins. We need to have confidence and trust in God's love and God's forgiveness. And after this comes confession and communion. So before actually I go to Abuna to confess my sins, I have to go through these five steps before confession and communion. So that is how repentance should be. And here the king said, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. And the last point in their repentance, he said, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And we can see in these words, there was a hope, there was trust in God's forgiveness. He trusted that God may uh, relent, will turn again and turn away from his fierce anger and will not perish. And this is actually what happened. God forgave them, as we say in the fraction, so until God had mercy on them, forgave them their sins and lifted his wrath away from them. But usually people ask a question here, does God change his mind or not? In order, in order actually to answer this question, we need to say, where is the camera? What do I mean by where is the camera? From where we are seeing the scene? From heaven or from earth? In heaven, actually, God is timeless. God is above time. In heaven, there is no past, present, and future. God, actually, everything for him is now. There is no past. There is no future. It's present. So God, in his foreknowledge in heaven, he knows everything. He knows that Jonah will go to them. People will repent. Actually, they will be forgiven. So God is not reactive. God, because everything is known for him. That's what we call the foreknowledge of God. So God is not reactive, meaning he did not wait until he saw the repentance and then actually he decided to uh, forgive them. If we speak in this way, then God is not timeless. Then God is not above the time. But God actually is above the time. So if the camera in heaven, I can say there is no change in his mind because everything is known to him even before the foundation of the world, even before the whole creation, God knows what will happen in Nineveh. But for us, if the camera here on earth, I mean, we see things from here on earth, within the boundary of time and space, we are living here in time, not outside the realm of time. So there is past, there is present, there is future. So in the past, God sent uh, Jonah with a warning to the people. If they did not repent, the city will be overthrown. In the present, we know that God, uh, we know the people 
repented. In the future, you know, we will see that God forgives them. If the camera in, on earth, we see that God actually changed his mind. As he said in verse 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. This verse actually is speaking to us from earthly perspective. People who are living in the time. But from heavenly perspective, if the camera is in heaven, this verse actually is addressing actions done in time. But God is timeless, as we say in the Gregorian liturgy, timeless. So he is above time. So while we are fasting this great fast, we need to learn from the people of Nineveh how they repented. They took God seriously. They believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and a fast with asceticism, with humbleness. They actually, this fast was a communal fast. Everybody participated. Nobody said, I only will fast one month, two weeks, whatever. And also, with this fast, they prayed to God. Actually, they cried mightily to the Lord. And with this fast, there was a serious repentance. Serious repentance. Then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way. So there was a serious repentance. God noticed it. God saw it himself. And with this serious repentance, the last point, they, there was confidence and hope in God's forgiveness that God will forgive them their sins and God will accept them. So these are the seven points that the people of Nineveh did in order actually to turn away the wrath of God and his anger, his fierce anger to turn it uh, away. The message to all of us, it is a golden opportunity for us. Even almost five weeks went and passed from this fast. But still, we have three weeks and a half. Let us focus during this time on our repentance, on our prayer, on our fasting. And we should be confident that when we pray and fast sincerely, asking God's mercy to come upon us, God actually will have mercy upon us and will forgive us our sins, not because we are worthy, but according to his mercies, according to the abundance of his love toward us. We have two aspasmos in uh, one Adam and one Watus during the Holy Great Fast. The word aspasmos means greeting, and we have these two hymns, one instead of Rejoice, O Mary, and the other one instead of O Lord God of Hosts. The Watus uh, aspasmos actually is taken from Jonah chapter 4, when he said to the Lord, I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So during this fast, we remind us with all this characteristic of God, that he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So God actually will forgive us our sins for sure, definitely. 
because not because we are worthy but because of his kindness his love his he's merciful and this actually we are reminded with this also in the adam aspasmus that says you do not desire the death of a sinner but rather that he returns and lives so we say and we know this about god he does not desire the death of a sinner god desires that we return and live and, and that's why we say restore us O god to your salvation and have mercy upon us so let us put our confidence in god ask god's grace to be with us during this fast to help us to fight the good fight so our fasting will be acceptable before god and as god actually accepted the fast of the ninevites he may accept also our fast and all of us will enjoy the mercies and the forgiveness and in the life after the eternal life with all the sins and the righteous glory be to god forever and ever amen